0: Welcome to the Florence Crossroad Podcast. We're thrilled to share with you an exciting message from our weekend service. If you would like more information about who we are as a church and how to get involved, feel free to visit FlorenceCrossroadAG.org. We hope you have an amazing experience and a great week. Father, what a terrific opportunity it is to be here in your house to worship you, to thank you for all the wonderful blessings that you've provided for to us. I pray, Father, this morning that you would make your presence known to each one in a very significant way, and that, Lord, as we come into your house, we will recognize just what you have in store for us. I pray, Father, your blessing upon the word and upon our gifts as we bring them together, and that, Father, we will walk out of here different than what we've come in. May we be extravagant in our worship to you today. May we love you to the point that we, we're, we're unafraid to reach out and give and to worship and make our giving an expression of worship this morning. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. And everybody can say amen. 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 God bless you. If you recall, some weeks back, I i uh, shared with you a series of, I, I've got a microphone that's kind of acting up. I think, I think I'm going to go with this one this morning. Um, it will be better for everybody's ears, all right? Uh, I shared with you a message, a series of messages I titled Living in His Presence. And in that, it's, I shared how living in His Presence is about a lifestyle of worship, uh, you know, so a lot of people, worship is kind of a soft thing, and I don't know if I want that. But I've got news for you. It is exactly what we need. I've had people honestly say, Pastor, I, I don't come to church during the worship time. I come for the message. That's kind of like coming for icing because the cake is worship. Worship is what we were created to do. Worship is what God created for us to be a part of with him. Worship is more than just saying, thank you, Jesus. Worship is is knowing Him. It's hearing Him. It's listening to Him. It's being obedient to Him. Yes, we need the Word, and I enjoy sharing and teaching the Word, but worship is the most important aspect of what we do. Uh, it, it's interesting that in that series, I shared several, and one of those messages I save for right now. I, I finished the series some about a month or two ago, but I saved one of those messages for this morning. As we come into this season of Christmas, I, I just felt that it was very timely and it set us up for the journey to Christmas Day. And we're going to have a, I, I think you'll find it to be interesting this morning. When, when Jesus' presence, when he was born, when that little baby made his presence known into this world, it, it started an avalanche. People began to worship him. Shepherds came and worshipped him. Mary and Joseph worshipped him. People showed up to worship him. They wanted to be in his presence. Some of those people were men that came from the Middle East part of the world that we would know as today Babylon. Or we would, not, we would call it Baghdad. It would be right on the verge between Iran and Iraq. These were Persians. They came a thousand miles to come into the presence of a toddler. When I think about this whole passage that we're about to read, and I shared with you a portion of it at the beginning of our service out of Matthew, I want to focus on these wise men. I want to focus on three aspects that I see that, that that spoke into my heart. I want you to hear this. Before I ever share a message to you, God has spoken that message to me. Uh, he bludgeons me before I get to bless you. All right? He speaks it into my own heart. He brings that to me before I have the privilege of bringing it to you. So this is, this is as much for the pastor as it is for the people. It's for all of us, all right? these these wise men share with us some wonderful things if you will in Matthew chapter 2 verse 1 uh, it says now after Jesus was born and listen to that now after Jesus was born the the, the wise men were not at the they weren't at the stable they weren't there with the shepherds this was after he was born i i hate to mess up your nativity set But but wise men weren't there at the birth of Jesus. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. They came a thousand miles. They didn't ride on camels. They rode on Persian horses. Again, I I don't want to mess up your idea of, of the nativity. I believe in nativities. I think a nativity should be on every government property in the United States. Just my own personal opinion. Saying, where is he who, is, who was born king of the Jews? Now listen to this. He's coming to Herod, who is the king of the Jews. And they're saying, where is he who was born king of the Jews? Do you think that would cause him a little bit of acid reflux? I, I think that created a great deal of turmoil in him. And, and it got out and it caused a great stir in Jerusalem says, for we have seen his star. We'll talk about that in a moment. We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ. The word there, Christ, means anointed one, the Messiah, HaMashiach, the, the Messiah of the Jews. Where? The Christ was to be born. So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea. I love that in Bethlehem, Bethlehem, Bethlehem. That's a compound word. The household of bread is what it means. And and when, when we think of it, see, he says in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, you see, I I seriously believe that he, he called them in, wanting them to come back to him once they found him so that he could kill them. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. Again, he uses the term young child, not for an infant, young child. In fact, between verses 1 and verse 21, that term young child is used nine times. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Yeah, right. That scoundrel. And when they heard the king, they departed. Behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, not the stable, but into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts of, to him, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Over and again, the scriptures teach us that these men came to worship Jesus. They, they, they weren't on a sightseeing trip. They came to worship Jesus. That That really speaks to me, and there there's some thoughts that 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 I've unpacked out of this that I, I hope they speak to you too. The first thing that hits me is they came expecting there was expectant worship in them. They came expecting something to happen. They came expecting something to happen. It takes me about five minutes to get from my house to here. It took them nine months to travel. A 1,000 miles on horseback to Jerusalem. They came expecting. You don't travel that far just to take time. They weren't in the neighborhood. They came expecting something. You don't take that kind of effort without an expectation. They came expecting something to happen when they got into the presence of this king of the Jews. They weren't Jewish. They were Persian. They, they came from a region of our world that is in great turmoil today. They were what we call magi. That is a compound word, meaning there were more than one. And, and we, we come up, you know, we have, how, how, many wi- how, many, how many wise men do you have in your nativity? Most of us have three. And the reason for that is, that we, is, that, is the gifts they bring, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we think of three, you know, That, that we'll talk about that in a moment. It doesn't, it, it doesn't mean there were just three. There could have been only two or there could have been 20. We don't know how many there were. The scriptures do not teach us that there were merely three. There were more than one. But who were these men? These men were what we call magi. We get the word magician from that. They were astrologers, astronomers, mystics, magicians, sorcerers, seers. If you go back and understand where they came from, they came from the same region where Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego were taken in captivity. They had the writings of Daniel in in hand. They they understood some of the history and some of the prophetic dynamics of this moment because of Daniel. But when we read the book of Daniel, we read these words. It says in chapter 2, verse 2, Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. They were all born like every human being on this planet, like everyone in this room, like all seven plus billion that inhabit our world. Every one of us have been born with an inquisitiveness about the supernatural. Now I want you to think about this. God is not natural. Hello? He's a supernatural God. I can take you to Papua New Guinea and I can take you back into the tribes of people and there are people there that are they're very, very curious about the supernatural. I can take you to Nepal. I can take you to Mongolia. I can take you to, to Sierra Leone. I can take you to any country in Africa. I can take you to South America. I can take you right next door. And people are inquisitive about the supernatural. So it isn't a mystical thing. It's not a weird thing. It's not some kind of a suspicious thing. It's a fact that these men had an inquisitiveness about the supernatural power of a God that would allow a star to lead them on a thousand mile journey to find the Savior of the world. I want to give you a little history about these people. I I, I had... Uh, For many years, when we lived in Salem, I would study it up at uh, Mount Angel Angel Abbey, and uh, it it has one of the largest microfiche libraries in the world. It's phenomenal, and the documents and the sacred writings that are there are amazing. And some of them have to be interpreted from from German to English, or from from uh, Latin to English, or from Greek to English. And I'm not the greatest linguist, so I have to have friends to help me with some of the translations. But I came across a document, it's an ancient document, and and it's speaking about these Magi. And it gives to us a little understanding of who they were. The, The forerunner of the Magi is a man that we find in the Bible by the name of Balaam. Have you ever heard Balaam in the Bible? Balaam's donkey. Remember, Balaam's donkey spoke? It's interesting because Balaam was conscripted by the king of Moab to speak curses against Israel. You see, Balaam wasn't a Jew. He was a Chaldean. He did not like, he did not like Israel. He didn't want any good thing to happen to Israel. So he was more than happy to speak curses over Israel. The problem is God wouldn't let him he'd start to give a curse, and God would change his mind and put words in his mouth that became blessings over Israel. He became so reluctant one time, he didn't want to say anything, and his very donkey spoke blessings over Israel. I've never been really caught up with the idea that as a pastor, you're of any kind of importance, because I've been reminded more than once that God could speak through a donkey. If that doesn't burst the bubble of your pomposity, nothing's going to do it, folks. I'm telling you. God doesn't need a human voice. He can use any voice. But the point of what I'm trying to share is that, that he, he, he came to speak curses over Israel. And every one of those curses ended up becoming a blessing. It's also Balaam that we find that actually gave the first understanding that there would be a star in the heavens. At the birth of the Savior. A pagan. Ungodly. Non-Jewish. Man. God would speak. And give him insight. About the very birth. Of the Savior of the world. Tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. I love it. I just love it. You know we get so caught up in our. Prim proper religiosity. (laughs) That everything has to be. Such and such and. Just right hoity-toity. God just likes to knock the stuffings out of our religiousness. Did you know that? He does things that so confound me sometimes. Hello? He uses people that I would have never used. (laughs) I'm sure there are people that think he could use you. (laughs) When I think of these men, they had had in their background the understanding of of Daniel, of, of Balaam. Balaam wrote these words, I love it, in Numbers chapter 24, he says, I see him, capital H, speaking of divinity, speaking of God the Son. I see him, but not now. This is a forecasting of a future moment. I behold him. But not near. In other words, he's not in my region, he's somewhere else. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. You see, an ungodly, pagan man, God spoke words into his heart that would lead these men on a thousand mile journey to find a baby who is God the Son birth of a virgin, they studied their history, they understood that, that Balaam had given an insight but they also understood the history of Israel, you see in their region they had the writings of Daniel, they understood that God had brought them Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego as one brother says it, Yoshak, Meshach and a bungalow. They brought them out of of Jerusalem into Babylon and kept them for 70 years in bondage. And during this period of time, many things occurred that showed God's favor and hand on his Jewish people. It would be Daniel, a Jew, that God would give revelation to Nebuchadnezzar, when Nebuchadnezzar would come and say, I, want to, I had a pr- troubling dream last night, and I want you to tell me not only the answer to the dream, but I want you to tell me the dream. None of his wise guys could say a word, but Daniel sought the Lord, and God brought to him not only that, what the dream was, but what it meant. It was a Jew that did this. It was because God, Daniel's God, Revealed to Daniel, a Jew, what was going to happen. God elevated him to an, an incredible point of prominence in that Babylonian kingdom, in the Persian kingdom, in, the, in, in all of the kingdoms that would follow for the next 70 years. It was the God of Daniel that kept him when he was placed in the den of lions. It was the God of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego when they were cast into a fiery furnace that would bring them alive out with the only thing burnt, those things that cut them bound. You see, it was God's will that the Jews survive. It was God's will that he would protect his people. It was God's will and favor that he would bring a child born of a virgin for all mankind. And these are the writings that these men began to study. In the writings of Daniel, it was interesting that Daniel would say there is going to come a moment when there will be an edict written in this period of transition, in this period of captivity. And when that edict is written, and it wasn't an edict to build the temple, it was an edict to build the wall and to all of the commerce of that city of Jerusalem. That started the calendar and God's clock. 483 years, Daniel would say. At the end of that 483 years, Messiah will be revealed. They understood the history of the Jews. 483 years from the day that edict was getting was April 6th in our Gregorian calendar. April 6th, 33 A.D., April 6, 33 A.D. is what we know in the Bible as Palm Sunday. When Jesus came out of Bethany and Bethpage down from the Mount of Olives into the city of Jerusalem riding on the foal of a donkey and they are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. It was the first and only time Jesus would allow the people to declare Him Messiah. To the very day That Daniel was given the prophetic word. But Jesus wasn't born 483 years. He was born 453 years. But you see they also understood that in Jewish dynamics. To be a prophet, a king or a priest. You could not enter into that ministry until you're 30 years of age. David was 30 years of age when he became the king of, of Israel. Daniel was 30 years of age, they, they, they tell us, when he began to give insight to Nebuchadnezzar. It was, they understood the principle, so you go 483 years back, 453 years, and all of a sudden they're recognizing, hey, those days are upon us. And it was just a coincidence that all of the astronomy and the, astrolog- uh, the astronomy of the world and planets, would align. And here would be this star out of the east. Just happened, didn't it? And it would draw them. Draw them for nine months. A thousand mile journey to the city of Jerusalem. And when they get to Jerusalem, they ask, where is he who was born king of the Jews? Wow. Tell you what, folks. It took a lot of effort to get there. Second thing that I read from this passage is found in verses 10 and 11. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Joy. That's not just joy. That's joy on steroids. Exceedingly great joy. Say that with me with a little gusto. Exceedingly great joy. You get the point? It wasn't joy. And they had come, and when they had come into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. The Greek there is very unique and is very specific. It wasn't that they just knelt very properly. No. The Greek language that is very descriptive they 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 were literally thrown to the ground like do you remember reading about in in the bible about the walls of jericho they fell down now here's the here's the crazy thing about that they were as wide as they were tall so if they fell over there's still a wall i remember being at jericho and uh our uh, the, the guide that was there, his, I don't remember his name, it's been too many years ago. But he said, what geologists have found is that the walls didn't fall over. They were pressed in to the ground. Glory to God. God just went. <laughs> but it wasn't just they fell down. It's to be thrown down with a force that breaks. That's the concept of the original language. And what it simply means is this, is when they came into the presence of this little child, they fell, and their pride broke. Their their anticipation broke. Everything about their life broke. I love little Laney. I know you do, you better, I'll come get you if you don't, and I pack, (laughs) you just never know when, but I love little Laney, and whenever I get into her presence, I just love her, but I don't fall down at her. I don't fall flat on my face before her. As a little toddler, I don't do that. As much as I love her, I don't do that. But these men came into the presence of a toddler. We understand that Jesus at this time was between, he was between 9 and 18 months old. And these very intelligent, highly respected, very powerful, very wealthy men very dignified in all of their finery, came into that house. And when they saw Jesus, they fell on their face. Their pride, their reputation, everything about them went out the window. They came and they worshipped him. It says, and when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. The, these were very wealthy people. You know what? It, it wouldn't hurt you once in a while to let loose and just worship God. Oh, but pastor, it's not my nature. That's a bunch of baloney because whenever your favorite team is on TV, <laughs> I know better than that. Hello? How many of you wives know that about your husbands? And when there's a sale at Macy's Husbands, you know that your wives, you know what I'm talking about. You see, the point of what I'm trying to simply share with you is this, is that we we have this idea that we we have to put it all together and and keep it together. And we we certainly don't want to be out of order. I don't want anybody being out of order either, but I am not afraid of people who truly out of their heart want to worship the king of kings. Do, do you all understand that this morning? I think I think my wife and I've traveled and we've traveled extensively and I mean there are times we've been we've been in the Philippines and, and oh my they love to worship. We, we've been in China and man they love to worship. We, we, we've been in South Africa, and I'm telling you, they really love to worship. I've been in Ethiopia and Kenya. They love to worship. I've been in Latin American countries. They love to worship. I've been in Cuba, and I'm going to tell you one thing. The government cannot control the church in Cuba. Communism is it's dead, if you will, because it cannot control the power of a living God. And the Cuban people, as much as they're in bondage to socialism and communism, they're free in Jesus Christ. Boy, when you get into those services, I mean, you feel like you've been church. There's coming a day. There's coming a day, folks. And one of these days, every billionaire every politician, every atheist, every leader, every rebel, every college professor that ever said there is no God is going to bow their knee and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I got news for you. I'm not waiting for that day to tell him. Amen? Tell your neighbor, loosen up. I want to just give you a few expressions in the Bible. They're not Pentecostal. They're not charismatic. They're biblical. Psalm one says, Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with a voice of triumph. Psalms 95, one to 6 Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Psalms 134.2. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. These are scriptural expressions of worship. I was raised in a church where you just came in, sat down, stood up, sung three songs out of a hymn, sat back down, went to sleep. <laughs> Hello, people wanted to come in late, but when they did, the back rows were were already taken. I come into a church, and man, I'm not kidding. They sang. They didn't just sing. They sang. They sang out of their spirit. They sang out of their heart. They sang from their soul. They worshiped. I'd never seen worship like that in my life. They lifted their hands. I'm thinking, this is odd. They didn't care what anybody thought. I remember one little sister. She was, oh, she was a tiny little thing, just about 80 years old, and she'd get happy, and she'd start singing, and she'd just, oh, she would just start singing, and she just, she didn't care if you didn't like it. She wasn't doing it for your benefit. She was doing it for the King of kings and for the Lord of lords. She wasn't doing it for show. She was doing it because there was something so effervescent within her spirit that it couldn't hold itself within her. She had to express the worship because of a Savior that had delivered her, saved her, healed her, saved her kids, redeemed her grandkids. She was excited about the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Pastor, you're getting carried away. I remember watching some people kneel and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, man, alive. That's devotion. I I was impressed. They they were they were no more aware of me. They didn't they weren't thinking about they weren't doing it for show. They were just on their knees worshiping Jesus because that's just the way they felt they needed to be. And I'm thinking, "Wow, isn't that awesome?" I honestly thought that. And then the spirit of the Lord says, "Why don't you?" And slowly I went to my knees and I had an experience. I didn't care. I didn't care. And you know what? I still don't. I've got news for you. You walked into an Assemblies of God church. You're already, you're already named out there. Sorry. You walked into this church. Do you know there are people out here in our community that think this is a weird church? I, I remember people telling me that, that that you come into one of these churches and people are going to do all kinds of bizarre things. Weird. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. I remember people when I was a kid. I went to the old the first assembly there in Bend, and and it, it was it was it was Jim. We didn't have chandeliers. We had a single bulb hanging out of a light socket. And they were saying that they swang from the chandeliers. Are you kidding? We were too poor to have chandeliers. It wasn't weird. It was, you know what it was? It was people that sincerely loved Jesus, that were not afraid to express their hearts to Jesus. That's what these, that's what these men coming from a thousand-mile journey came into the presence of a little baby, and they made themselves look foolish to a world that didn't understand because their hearts were full. All they wanted to do was worship Him. Wow. Wow. Wow! Last thing, this passage speaks to me is that their worship was extravagant, expectant, expressive, extravagant. Gold, frankincense, myrrh—all three of these have prophetic, prophetic significance. Gold represents the idea; represents his royalty. He is the king. Frankincense represents Divinity, Frank Incense. I, I remember being in, in, in Ethiopia and I went to a, a coffee ceremony where they, they took coffee and they have the absolutely best coffee in the world in Ethiopia. It's where coffee originated, came out of Ethiopia. And, and they, they, they brought these green beans. They roasted it in your presence. Oh, it was wonderful. And then they ground it and then they made coffee in front of you. Oh, it's Phenomenal coffee. But while they're while they're doing all of this, they're burning in they're burning frankincense. It, it is an amazing, it is an amazing experience. And it speaks of his divinity. Our praise comes up before him as a sweet savor into the very presence of God. It speaks of His divinity, and myrrh speaks of His humanity. You see, myrrh is a salve that they would put on the body, preparing it for burial. It was with myrrh that the women came to the tomb. They hastily buried Jesus. And they came to prepare Him, His body, for death. When I when I think about these three gifts, they're 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 pretty unique. But the reason these Persians brought them is because this is the greatest asset of Persia, was gold and frankincense and myrrh. It wasn't that each one brought a specific gift. I think they all brought the same gifts because it was it was the it was the the greatest resource of their country. And they brought these gifts and they all have significance and they all had meaning. But they brought the very best they had. Do we bring into his presence the very best we have? Do we bring him our first? We have a dear friend who went to be with Jesus next Sunday Sherry won't be here. She's going to be at that memorial service. Jerry had an attitude that if you have two of anything, you share. And when you share, you always give the better of the two. Where did she learn that? From the word of God. You see, if we love, we give. Worship is love expressed. I love her. Anything she would want, I would give her because I love her. There's nothing that I would withhold from her. Nothing. Not even my guns. <laughs> I might withhold the bullets. I might have been born at night, but it wasn't last night. (laughs) Nothing, nothing. Do you understand the principle? How often do we come into the presence of God and we give him our leftover time? We throw a dollar in the offering, we don't give him first fruits. We don't give him tithe. We just give him leftovers. You think that blesses God? Biggest, you, people have said, well, the biggest offerings you're going to have at church are Christmas and Easter. No, we have the biggest amount of dollar bills at Easter and Christmas because we don't have people that are really believers always at easter and christmas and they they don't know they don't know but those of us that know him how can we wow. not give him the best this isn't about giving that's not what this message is about it's about worship it's about it's about extravagant worship Here's a thought though that that really grabbed my mind as I was looking through this. In verse 12 of our text it says then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod they departed for their own country another way. Before I knew who Jesus was before I ever made a commitment to Jesus. I tried reading the Bible and it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And I'd read a passage and I would say, what does this mean? I had to have other people help me understand what it meant. We had a big family Bible that collected dust sitting on the table in the living room. And on it had a picture of a shepherd Underneath it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I thought, well, that doesn't make sense. Why wouldn't I want him as my shepherd? I had no clue what that meant. You all understand what I'm saying? I thought the book of Job was about jobs. <laughs> I didn't know. Seriously, I didn't know. Romney couldn't even say it. You'll catch that later. What I'm trying to share is that when they came to Jerusalem, before they came into his presence, they had to ask for directions of men. But once they were in the presence of Jesus, God spoke to them personally. And he said, go out another way. When you and I come to a relationship with Jesus, where we invite Him into our life, when we ask Him to be our Lord and our Savior, when we encounter Him and we come into the presence of the King of Kings, we come expecting Him, unashamed to express ourselves to Him. extravagantly worshiping Him, He will speak to you. In your quiet times, when we gather here in, in the assembling on a weekend, He will speak to you individually. There's a tough time of year for a lot of people. We've lost a couple friends within the last month, and it's been it's tough, It's tough. For those families, it's hard. I remember when Sherry's father passed away. It was just before Thanksgiving. The holidays were horrible. I remember when my father passed away and the the first holidays were horrible events. They were empty moments. But yet they weren't. Because we didn't allow our minds to go to the morbid. We didn't allow our minds to go to to the sad moments. We went to the moments where we could remember we could remember the good moments we could remember the good things and most of all we could remember why jesus came and he brings peace he brings peace he brings hope he brings help he brings health every time every time so my question to you this morning in the next few moments what is the holy spirit Speaking to you. What is he saying to you? If we'll quiet ourselves for a moment, we'll hear him. You'll hear him speak to you. Maybe there are some this morning that would have to say, Pastor, I I really don't know anything about Jesus. A young man in the first service come to Jesus. One of our brothers just slipped over, put an arm around him, and led him to the Lord. Isn't that fun? That's what this is about. Do you know Him? Do you know Him as your Savior? Have you bowed your heart to Him as a as a worshiper? Are you unashamed? To declare yourself as a child of a living God. Maybe maybe he's saying, I've got this, kid. I've got this. I know what you're going through. I've got your back. You're going to be okay. Maybe, Maybe he's saying, just hold steady. Watch and see my hand perform for you and open doors that you can't. I don't know what the Holy Spirit is going to say to you. But I know that he's going to. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, would you please? (laughs) Jeff led us in a song earlier today. Oh, come let us adore him. And I want us to worship him together. And I want you to do something with me. I want you just to close your eyes for a moment. I don't want you to worry about the person in front of you, behind you, beside you. I want you to focus on Jesus, the one that loves you. I want you just to worship him. If you feel so inclined to lift your hands, that's okay. You're in a good place to do that. But I want you, out of your own heart, out of your own expressiveness, I want you to worship Him. Unashamedly, without fear, without worry, I want you just to worship Him. Sing it with us.